Hi, I'm Victoria Starik Samoli, co-founder and director of strategy at the Council on Geostrategy, a new foreign affairs think tank based in the heart of London. And this is Geostrategy 360, our fortnightly podcast which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. This month we will be again witnessing Russia conducting another large-scale military exercise. The regular Zapad exercise, meaning Western English, is named after the region it is taking place, Russia's Western Military District. This time Zapad 2021, which will begin on 10th of September, will unfold across the territories of Russia and Belarus. Russian military exercises always provide a window into Russian military capabilities, tactics and broader strategic intentions. However, this year, the exercise is of particular importance due to the increasingly opportunistic regime in Belarus and its intimate relationship with Russia, as well as the recent military buildup next to Ukraine's border and the ongoing war in the eastern territories of the country. And today, I'm absolutely delighted to have an opportunity to discuss the upcoming Zappa 2021 exercise and other alarming developments in the region with Dr. Alexander Lanoska, who is Anne Spevin, Associate Fellow in Euro-Atlantic Geopolitics at the Council on Geostrategy. Dr. Lanoska is Assistant Professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Waterloo and the Balsley School of International Affairs in Waterloo, Canada. His main areas of expertise include security challenges in Europe, military strategy and intranato relations. So, Alexander, welcome to Geostrategy 360. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So on the 10th of September, Russia will embark on a week-long military exercise after 2021. What can be expected from this strategic exercise in terms of numbers and the deployment size in Russia and Belarus? So I think it's important to step back and talk about what exactly is Zapat 21. It is really a joint strategic operational exercise held by Russia and Belarus with some contributing countries every four years. And it involves stimulating combat combat operations against a major power adversary or a country backed by one. In practical terms, that really just means NATO. And as Victoria, as you just mentioned, it is planned for the 10th uh, through the 16th of September. Zapad means West, which indicates that it draws forces from the Russian uh, Western military district. It is in fact held largely in the Western portion of Russia, as well as in Belarus. But to be sure, it also features forces uh, that um, are drawn from other regional commands. And indeed, the Northern Fleet also participates in Zapad 21. You have to think of Zapad really as more than just one exercise. It is a series of exercises that involves the military, civil defense, emergency units, as well as the National Guard. So precisely because it traditionally takes place on the territory of Western Russia and Belarus, the military exercises attract a lot of attention for both right and for wrong reasons. So the right reason is that it gives us plenty of insight as to how these two allies are arraying and training their forces in areas that are directly contiguous to European NATO. The wrong reason is that at least as as past iterations are concerned, a number of pundits and prominent observers have interpreted the Zapad exercise as a pretext to unseat Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko, to annex Belarus or parts thereof, and or even to 
provoke a general European conflict. And some of it's due to the misinformation uh, put out by Russia as to the numbers uh, involved in these exercises. Now, I don't want to be too dismissive of those concerns. There have been valid reasons for the alarmism. You know, if one looks at history, there have been a number of military exercises that preceded actual crises like those in Hungary in 1956 or in Georgia in 2008. And indeed, even in past rapid exercises, um, there have been efforts to jaw, uh, jam um, uh, GPS receivers located in NATO territory to stimulate attacks on islands located uh, in adjacent areas to where the uh, exercises are being really held. So I don't want to say that the exercise is entirely benign. And indeed, the numbers issue is very significant. So this is, I think, a primary source of controversy. So according to the Vienna document of 2011, uh, members of the OSCE must invite foreign observers to any military exercise that involves 13,000 troops or more. In the past, ZAPAD, as well as other Russian military exercises, involved more than 13,000 troops, with official Russian open sources themselves putting numbers of forces well above um, what is um, uh, necessary for having greater military transparency, according to the Vienna document. Now, 13,000 is the, the, the threshold number. Russia, however, goes about you know, some duplicitous behavior but in this way by excluding certain maneuvers that you know, they, they claim belong to separate exercises. Like I said, ZAPA is really a series of exercises that's held in uh, one uh, time period in uh, a distinct uh, set of territory. Um, some of it is also just funny accounting that, um, that certain uh, elements of various military formations cycle through different parts of the exercise such that um, the whole set of military personnel are not exactly used all at once or are training all at once, but parts of them are. Uh, and so um, you, you get a situation where maybe they're being faithful to the letter, but actually they're not. And indeed, one Russian military leader has in fact mentioned a few weeks ago that Zappa 21 will involve upwards of about 200,000 military personnel. So for the Zappa 21 exercises, officially of that 200,000, 12,800 military personnel will take part in Belarus. Slightly more than half of that will fall under the Vienna, Vienna document, according to the Belarusian Chief of Defense uh, Staff, Major General uh, Viktor Gulevich. Um, that uh, larger number, 12,800, uh, includes 2,500 from Russia. But even these numbers need to be treated with some skepticism because already there are some tactical groups uh, posted near um, Paranovici. There's an undisclosed number near Brest. All, all these locations are in Belarus. Uh, airborne units will eventually arrive. There'll be air defense units posted near uh, Hranda, very close to the border uh, with Poland and Lithuania. There'll be Russian fighter jets. So there'll be much more Russian military personnel. And we won't really know until the exercises really begin uh, in September, uh, later this month, uh, that we can actually start assessing um, what is in fact going on. 
Alex, so the last uh, uh, Zappet exercise took place in 2017, and we also witnessed Vostok 2018, Center 2019, and Kafkas 2020. Now, I wanted to ask uh, about the scenarios. What do you think are the possible scenarios of this particular exercise, and how the scenarios might be different um, from 2017? So, I, I, don't, I think the differences in scenarios will be fairly subtle, and I'm not entirely sure that's like the most interesting difference uh, between now and those held in 2017 or even earlier in 2013. In those two iterations of Zappa 21, the scenarios involve some external power aiming to impose regime change in Russia and Belarus. And so the military exercises serve to defend the status quo, determining what mix of conventional forces are fit for purpose, as well as for gauging the interoperability of Russian and Belarusian forces across across a wide spectrum of military operations. The exercises have a largely conventional character, but there's still, of course, some um, uh, role uh, played by uh, nuclear uh, forces. Those also get exercised. So in 2017, the scenario involved two countries. Uh, one was called Vesbaria, which comprises parts of Lithuania and Poland. And another comprises Lubenia, which um, is a fictional country, of course, that seems to be centered on uh, Grodno in northwestern Belarus, an area that has historical links with Lithuania and Poland. And in that case, it seemed like that was uh, a country that, uh, a movement, pardon me, that was seeking secessionism from Belarus with the support of NATO. This time around, we don't have Izbaria and Lubenia. We have instead uh, the Republic of Polesia and the Central Federation as being the chief protagonists. The, the former of which, Polesia, uh, is actually a historical region that spans southern Belarus, northern Ukraine, eastern um, Poland, and parts of Lithuania. And Central, the Central Federation seems to be the Union state, that is to say, Belarus and Russia. There are other states involved in this uh, scenario. There are Nyaris, which is supposedly northern Belarus, it's a bit like Lubenia, perhaps, in uh, 2017. There is Pomore, which sounds a lot like Pomoja, which um, uh, you know, indicates um, a part of Poland that's um, closer to Germany. And then there is something imaginatively called the Polar Republic, which we can guess uh, relates to Uh, the Arctic. Now, these are all assumptions. We don't really know for sure what these countries represent in the actual scenario. Um, a colleague of mine, Konrad uh, Muzika, does a terrific job in compiling data and trying to understand as much as we can of Zapad. But these uh, correspond with how Belarusian and Russian leaders have been assessing uh, their threat environment, especially in the Western parts of their country. And so it sort of fits with Uh, their own views of the threat environment, and so they're posturing their forces accordingly. Alexander, we talked about the numbers and the deployment size, but I wanted to ask you, does size really matter? We tend to focus on the size and troops numbers, but maybe the new technology and concepts are more important. So this is, this is an interesting question because the premium put nowadays on modern warfare is for greater dispersal for smaller units, Uh, for uh, 
formations to be much less concentrated. So, you know, there's uh, a lesser value put on, on just massing forces. In fact, massing forces can create vulnerabilities given the level of lethality on the battlefield. And so there's this tension even within Russian military planning as to how to design uh, the force posture. There's a lot of talk of so-called uh, non-contact warfare that relies a lot on uh, precision strike and dispersed forces. But since 2014, uh, there has been some pushback against uh, some of the implications of non-contact warfare in favor still of having heavy armor and, and concentrated mass. And we see that to some extent in these military exercises. So the numbers may not necessarily matter, but because Russia is being duplicitous, is being uh, a little loose with the, with the truth, especially with regards to um, its um, stated commitments to the Vienna Doctrine of 2011, that obviously raises concern as to what are exactly uh, Russia's intentions. Like, why does it feel the need to be so duplicitous with these numbers? Um, and, and, and to what extent does this really mask a deeper political operation? So there are two things going on here. Like the first is that uh, numbers might not necessarily matter in the modern war in, 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 with respect to modern warfare because greater numbers may not actually mean more security. It could actually create certain vulnerabilities in terms of the lethality on the battlefield. But even so, Russia still is mobilizing large numbers and that in turn creates insecurity, especially amongst um, those countries found on so-called on the so-called uh, eastern flank, uh, three Baltic countries and Poland, because of course uh, that might look like an uh, incoming invasion force. So, what do you think ultimately Russia will try to communicate with this exercise this September? So, there is definitely a signaling dimension to these military exercises, but I think it's important to also understand the practical side first. So. There's a basic need on the part of Russia to check readiness, to see how its military forces respond to mobilization and to practicing situations that can stress command and control structures, whether with respect to combined arms, as well as um, to inter-service coordination. And modern warfare is very complex. It requires high levels of training and well-developed skill sets to execute tactics uh, properly. And these exercises also serve to determine how prepared security forces are, whether in a state of war or in a heightened state of military crisis, whereby public safety and order are in jeopardy. So there's definitely a practical need to test out these capabilities in view of the scenarios and the threat assessments that Russian and Belarusian political military leaders have. Now, beyond these practical elements, you're absolutely right to point out that there is definitely a strong signaling value here. Countries engage in military exercises for practical reasons, but they also do so because they need to reaffirm uh, um, how serious they are in training their uh, capabilities and projecting strength. And in the case of uh, alliance politics, to convey alliance solidarity and cohesion. And we see that actually more and more uh, these days in the Belarusian and Russian relationship. So from a signaling perspective, I think what Russia wants to uh, convey is you know, this basic notion that it's strong, it has these capabilities, 
is willing to exercise them, which uh, you know is a very expensive proposition, of course, and that it is um, uh, you know able to do so with Belarusian um, um, forces on board, which typically is the case. But what also sets these exercises apart this year is that uh, in 2017, Belarus still had decent relations with Western countries at the time, such that it invited foreign observers from Poland and uh, the Baltic countries, as well as other neighboring countries and international organizations. That's not happening right now. So the signal is much starker uh, this time around because there's very little interest in cooperation, even on the Belarusian side, in part because of what's been happening in that country since last year. When speaking about the upcoming SAP 2021, I think it's important also not to forget an already tense situation next to the border of Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland. Um, Belarusian dictator Lukashenko has been blatantly trying to destabilize these countries and the wider EU by using migrants as a weapon. And as a result, these countries have been dealing with a sharp rise in the number of migrants crossing over the border and also had to announce a state of emergency. So what are the most recent developments now? Right. So, uh, yeah, it's important to step back and and note that the weaponized migrants are a separate issue. And I think they would have happened if ZAPED were held next year. So these are separate issues, but they're happening contemporaneously. And they're, they're both contributing to mounting tensions between Belarus and Russia on the one hand, and NATO members like Lithuania, Latvia, and Poland on the other hand. So more than 4,000 migrants have crossed into Lithuania, uh, more than 3,000 have tried to enter Poland. Um, now, what has happened, what's been happening is that basically since July, uh, Minsk has been putting out disinformation to uh, entice those living in Iraq, as well as in Syria and other parts of North Africa and Middle East to use uh, Minsk as some sort of transit point to get into the European Union. And these are individuals who feel that they could actually do so legally uh, and that Minsk offers a promising route. And so uh, there have been more uh, flight connections between uh, Minsk and Baghdad, as well as between Minsk and Istanbul. There's some debate as to where uh, they're coming from mostly, but I think it's for, uh, largely from Istanbul. So, uh, Lately, uh, Poland has joined Lithuania in declaring a state of emergency. Uh, in the case of Poland, uh, the state of emergency applies to two regions so far. Poland has been uh, constructing a fence along its 400-kilometer border uh, with Belarus, and that state of emergency is due to last 30 days. Uh, it could be, of course, extended by the Polish president, Andrzej Duda. Uh, and this state of emergency bans demonstrators or demonstrations along a thin strip of territory very close to the border. Um, and, you know, it's really a tragic situation. Uh, we have to, you know, these are not numbers. I mentioned there are 4,000 into Lithuania, 3,000 into Poland, but these are actually you know, people, they're Kurds, they're Yazidis who have been convinced uh, by Belarusian authorities into crossing uh, the European Union. Now, Belarus is doing this because it is pursuing really a, a punishment strategy in response to Lithuania and Polish efforts to support um, 
civil society in contesting the official results in the August 2020 presidential election. Um, and in the case of Poland, the precipitating factor there was the decision by Polish authorities to extend a humanitarian visa to an Olympic athlete by the name of uh, Kristina Szymanowska. So Belarus is doing this because it thinks it can, you know, be effective in, in weaponizing migrants. And unfortunately, there's research that shows as much, right? And there's a lot of precedent for what we're seeing. You know, Muammar Gaddafi did the same thing when he was still ruling Libya. So the situation is very fluid. The European Union is preparing a fifth set of, of sanctions. Um, State of emergency has been imposed both in Lithuania and Poland. It's a very dynamic situation. It's a tragic situation. And I think it really goes to show the deep cynicism and the total lack of empathy for human suffering shown by the Lukashenko regime. So the, the current regime in Belarus, coupled with the lack of transparency and an already tense situation next to Lithuanian, Latvian and Polish border, can possibly lead to escalations and provocations in border incidents. What risks do you see in this regard? So I would argue that Belarus is already engaged in escalation, provocations and border incidents already. I don't think we need to be scared too much of further escalation, it, you know, one could maybe argue that uh, Zappa 21 may be a prelude to a major offensive against uh, NATO territory. I think that's extremely unlikely. In years past, uh, Belarus has been very reluctant to uh, get on board with aspects of Russian foreign policy and try to portray itself as an honest broker in the Ukraine uh, conflict. Um, it has tried to straddle the line between NATO and Russia. Of course, those um, foreign policy objectives on the part of Minsk has fallen by the wayside with the uh, political turmoil that has been besetting that country since. But even so, I, I would imagine that Belarus is reluctant to escalate militarily against uh, NATO countries. He does, you know, he has a lot to lose from a conflict like that. We actually have a, all, all of us has a lot to lose uh, from a conflict like that, but him especially. Um, so I think, you know, we should not be scared of escalation in this domain precisely because it's happening already. Um, and I think what's happened too is that we in NATO countries have sort of fooled ourselves into thinking that Lukashenko it can be reasoned here. I think his back has been um, up against the wall since August uh, 2020. And so he has been pursuing increasingly draconian measures against his own uh, population and flouting international norms ever since. And the reason why I think he's uh, been doing so, at least with regards to flouting international norms, like with the, uh, you know, the air piracy that we saw a few months ago with the uh, kidnapping of Raman Prasadzov, Pratasevich and his um, and his girlfriend um, is because we've been very gradualist in our own approach. Um, now we've been thinking that if we we sanction some things but not everything, uh, we can use the threat of further sanctions to um, uh, offer off ramps uh, and to uh, provide reassurances, maybe stoke some division within uh, members of Lukashenko's inner circle. Um, and there's something to be said for that theory. However, I think what's happened is that Lukashenko has interpreted this gradualist approach 
as signaling weakness and irresolution on our part, that we're not sanctioning as forcefully, as forcefully as we could have, and that we're being a little unserious. And so he's been able to push the envelope and engage in greater escalation, more provocations, and, and um, basically being responsible for a greater number of border incidents. So he, for him, the gloves are already uh, have been off for a while. We should have no illusions about Lukashenko. I don't suspect he's going to escalate in the military domain, but he's already escalating in other domains. Let's not forget about Ukraine. So since 2014, Crimea has been illegally occupied by Russia and also the ongoing war is still happening in the eastern regions of Ukraine. Earlier this year, we also um, uh, witnessed a military buildup next to Ukraine's border by Rus with Russian forces. So what risks do you see in this regard? So this is another reason why the Zappa 21 exercises are different this year than in previous years. Of course, there was that conflict uh, that had been in train uh, in eastern Ukraine since 2014. And, you know, there were Zappa exercises held in 2017 uh, while those uh, hostilities were already in, uh, in train. Now, because of what was happening in Ukraine in 2017, there was a lot of alarmism, like I said, um, that surrounded Zappa 2017, a lot of alarmism that just turned out not to be true. This time is different, so they say. It's, and, but that's really the case because, as you mentioned, there was this uh, very uh, visible military buildup uh, near um, uh, Voronezhev and other parts of Russia that lied to uh, Ukraine's east. There, were also, there was also a military buildup in Crimea, but that military buildup was still insufficient to really undertake offensive operations uh, from Crimea into Ukraine. There is still a lot of uncertainty as to what was the meaning of that military buildup. In fact, a lot of the uh, military hardware is still there. Um, troops that had uh, manned that hardware uh, had left, although, of course, um, they'll probably be filling in as Zapad is taking place. So we don't know for certain whether there was a bona fide um, effort to put in military forces sufficient for undertaking limited uh, offensive operations in the Donbass region. We don't know whether this was just a bluff to uh, coerce via very heavy-handed means uh, Zelensky in light of uh, some of his um, policy decisions that um, uh, that the Kremlin found particularly irksome. Uh, we don't know whether, you know, the Russians ever intended to do something in the spring, but they were going to put forces in place so that they could do something later as right now um, during the Zappa 21 exercises. Like I mentioned earlier, one reason why many people are very concerned about Russian military exercise is not because necessarily that there's some duplicity involved with the numbers, but they tend to precede military interventions in neighboring countries. I mentioned Hungary and Georgia as key examples. So I think from Ukraine's perspective, there are two worries here. One is whether these forces would be um, filled in and in fact uh, be used as um, the basis for some sort of limited military offensive 
in eastern Ukraine. And that's the one that already has gotten a lot of uh, press because of the war scare that we had earlier this year. And indeed, just yesterday, September 2nd, uh, Russia announced that was not renewing the observer and border mission um, in the two checkpoints in eastern Ukraine uh, later this month, uh, which suggests that perhaps indeed they're not up to any good. The other issue, uh, one that's a little more subtle, is what happens after Zappa 21 is concluded and whether Russian forces stay within Belarus. So this has profound implications for European NATO security, to be sure. If there, are, if there is a permanent Russian military presence in Belarus, uh, that obviously is a game changer. From Ukraine's perspective, has not had to worry about uh, protecting its northern border with Belarus. However, if Russian forces are now there and they might um, uh, be working alongside Belarusian forces, then that requires uh, the Ukrainian armed forces to further um, um, locate some of its own forces away from the line of contact uh, or uh, from uh, areas adjacent to uh, Donbass region or even Crimea to guard its northern flank, which would, of course, um, uh, overstretch Ukrainian military capabilities even further, because even along the line of conflict, there's actually quite a few gaps in Ukraine's military posture. So that would obviously put a squeeze on Ukraine and could uh, perhaps um, give Putin greater course of leverage. So the exercise starts next week, and the question is, how should NATO react to Zappa 2021 and future Russian military posturing in the Euro-Atlantic region more generally? At the very least, NATO needs to practice vigilance and be very attentive. And of course, that's what, what, that's what NATO is doing already. Um, now, so like I said, what makes Zappa different this year is the political situation in Belarus and the opportunities that it might present uh, to Vladimir Putin. Um, as I said, you know, there were unfound fears that Putin would use the military exercise as a pretext to dislodge Lukashenko and install someone in Minsk who is more pliant. After all, the re personal relationship between Lukashenko and Putin has never really been very good. Um, but Putin has learned to live with Lukashenko. Um, and now that Lukashenko has his back to the wall uh, for reasons relating to the uh, political situation in Belarus, uh, he has no choice but to turn eastwards and basically um, uh, throw himself further into uh, Russia's embrace. So a key thing to watch out for uh, is basically what happens at once the um, exercises are over. Lukashenko has historically resisted calls for a permanent Russian military presence and deeper military integration between uh, those two countries. And indeed, I think um, a lot of observers have over stated the alignment between Belarus and Russia. But now we're actually in a situation where we might in fact observe that very close alignment take place between those two countries. So I would say, aside from being very attentive and wargaming perhaps what might happen if uh, Russia does leave a permanent military presence, uh, it needs to then consider 
appropriate responses? Should that mean uh, more uh, snap exercises involving NATO forces in uh, the Baltic uh, littoral region? Uh, that would also mean um, uh, naming and shaming uh, Russia for its lack of uh, compliance with the Vienna document uh, and, and, and so forth. You know, one decision that uh, NATO has, I wouldn't say that NATO has done, but the United States has done has been to uh, reject uh, Polish uh, appeals for a permanent military presence in uh, that country. Uh, precisely to avoid uh, provoking Russia. At least that's one argument that's been put out there. Uh, but if Russia goes ahead and puts in permanent military uh, forces in Belarus, then obviously uh, people are going to look back on that decision not to um, put uh, permanent uh, U.S. military presence in Poland as uh, a, a mistake, uh, perhaps. So... All these things will have to be considered. Uh, there are, of course, you know, risks uh, involved with any of these sorts of policy actions. But I think above all, be vigilant and don't give in to some of the um, uh, sensationalism that we've seen in past. I think we need to be a little sober here. Uh, we need to be attentive to some of the uh, differences that Lukashenko and Putin still have. Um, we need to um, not be too alarmist as we have in the past. Uh, there's a lot of crying wolf when it comes to talking about Russia. There's every year a war scare, uh, and some of these war scares are more legitimate than not. I think this year's war scare was actually um, much more substantial than in, in previous years. Um, but NATO, is, at, at the very least, should be attentive uh, and, and stand on guard. Alexander, thank you very much for sharing your insights and expertise today and taking part in today's episode. And thank you to our listeners. This is Geostrategy 360, the Council on Geostrategy podcast, which discusses current geopolitical and environmental security issues with politicians, government and military officials, business people and experts. You can listen to Geostrategy 360 on all major podcast platforms and you can find all our podcasts on our website www.geostrategy.org.uk slash podcasts.